How's it going, sinners and choosers? Welcome to uh, an on-the-road version of Choose Your Own Religion. Uh, my name is Joe. It still is Joe. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Uh, this is a show where I usually interview L.A. comedians in Los Angeles. Well, today, uh, we don't have an L.A. comedian. We don't have a comedian. And we're not in L.A. I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, hence the sound quality of this. I'm doing this one totally on the road uh, with my old... Presbyterian campus minister John Rogers, who who was there for uh, when I fell uh, out and away from my uh, from my Presbyterian roots, and uh, as you'll hear in the course of this conversation, this was back when uh, I was studying religion, and you'll hear uh, this professor mentioned uh, Bart Ehrman as somebody who was influential in my life, as somebody who uh, I studied uh, academically the Old Testament, New Testament under, and and that plus. Uh, some other circumstances made me not a Christian anymore. And I stopped going to Presbyterian campus ministry, which was like a big part of my college life for my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. And some of my best friends there. My first girlfriend I met through that group. First person I lost my virginity to, which uh, still feels like a big deal all these years later. Uh, but anyway, after this conversation, you'll, you'll hear maybe I didn't even need to leave it at all, even if I wasn't a Christian anymore. Uh, so maybe this was all. This all could have been avoided, but uh, it wasn't avoided, and I'm glad we didn't avoid this conversation. Uh, John is somebody who's a very kind guy. I definitely didn't leave because of him. Uh, he's a cool dude. You'll hear this conversation again. I'm sitting on the edge of campus right now, uh, reminded just, man, this is a beautiful place. Why can't the New York or LA comedy scene be just in Chapel Hill instead? It would make things a lot happier, a lot easier for all of us. Uh, but alas, I have to fly back this afternoon. And uh, thank you once again to John. Uh, this one, I mean, we talk a lot about the Christian church and what the church means. And where does, uh, do you have to be a Presbyterian? Do you have to be a Christian to be a part of a community? What does community mean? What is the purpose of the church? And uh, I hope this at least gives a good name to some Presbyterians out there. I went to church this weekend. I, I saw my dad preach, which was always kind of a trippy psychedelic experience for me and nobody asked me what I believe nobody asked me if I was a Christian uh, so that was cool a lot of intense Presbyterian shit going on in my life this weekend uh, anyway if you like this show choose your own religion.com you'll find old episodes on there I love you guys so much here is John Rogers allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love Wake up, my dear sinners, wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers and know that you are blessed? I love you, oh, but Jesus loves you the best. And I hope that you choose your own religion um, last week and several of them they were saying you know when we started like freshman and sophomore year and they call them first years now um, is uh, is we felt like it really met our needs you know content wise but we felt like by the time we were seniors it just you know we came because we came in it was a community that we liked Yeah. but as far as where we were developmentally with what it was meeting our, our our needs, they would say probably wasn't. So That's interesting. interesting. We're gonna have to figure out a way to kind of do more with the juniors. Yeah, well, I was gonna go ahead and just kick no, it no, off. No, 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 go ahead. Now, uh, I was, so I'm, I'm curious. So, 
Stephen, on that that point, so you say that when you come in as a freshman, you're just like like you said, you're just there for these are the people I like. These are yeah. and I I have my heritage, my yeah. Presbyterian. Yeah, yeah, most of them, right? Yeah, um, and then by the time seniors, you say they're developmentally, they're somewhere else. Where where is that? Like where are people? Yeah, in general, do you, do you have to get an idea of that? Yeah, you know, it's a huge. One of the things I think it's such a valuable place to do Christian ministry is, um, it's the it's it really is developmentally the biggest I think um, I don't want to call it a crisis, but it's but it's this time where uh, an eighteen year old is leaving home base, right. where their families have set the parameters and expectations of their religious community. They have the independence of making their decision about what community they want to be a part of at Carolina at college, and they're choosing in a non-compulsory way. Mm-hmm. And and so it, whether or not it's a fraternity, another extracurricular group, whether it's a dorm community, um, you know, when they come here, um, you have to, for us, we feel like we have to make church feel different um, because everything about the DNA of a college student that we see, the ones that we get, granted there are plenty of college students that want exactly what they had in church and there are plenty <laughs> of campus ministries for them to do that. Yeah. Um, but we feel that honoring that developmental cycle of the 18-year-old coming out of home, for most of them, um, the freedom that they've been given, that you have to give a freedom, a theological freedom, yes. um, that I feel that you know, that what I've come to terms with is that it doesn't compromise my theological integrity of what I believe, of the sort of firmness that I have and what I believe in my mid-40s. Um, to do ministry with college students, especially the 18-year-old, you have to give a, a certain amount of freedom to think and to ask difficult questions and kind of push the parameters of the t- normal church doctrine. Yeah. Um, but, you- but what was interesting is the, the question had to do with, that. that's very different from the 18-year-old to the 22-year-old that's graduating. Um, and, and so... The, the, the 22-year-old has done the experimental, trying to figure out who they are, owned who they are, but it's like somewhere around that late junior, part of the junior year into the senior year, they want something with depth, and typically, they, if they're with us, they want to come back to kind of that theological grounding, but within their own language. Mm. And so the needs of the junior-senior are very different than that first year kind of like Pandora's boxes opened up. And yeah, yeah. Seriously, I mean, at Carolina, they have over 800 student organizations they can choose from. Um, and, you know, they choose us. We're one amongst many campus ministries. And um, and so you just have to acknowledge that the needs of that 18-year-old incoming first-year student is very different than the needs, theological needs, of a, a student that's graduating, getting ready to try to figure out the next crisis. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, then some of us, you know, my Pandora's box maybe even came even later <laughs> than that. <laughs> uh, but I'm curious, do you have, uh, do you, can you think of like a specific thing in terms of like a theological freedom that like really connect, like that 18 year old kind of one or like, do you have a specific example in mind yeah. of like something that maybe their home church was like not really that into, but they find, I mean, I think, I think the Presbyterian Church is pretty good as far as LGBT issues, mm-hmm. especially compared to lots of other right. uh, denominations. Is that is that one, or is there something else? Or well, I think there's two things going on when they're in high school. Um, you know, call it a, a teenage rebellion, um, a high school kind of learning in independence. Um, and there's two things happening. There's there's this independence from your family, um, and then there's this independence in trying to think about who they are and what they think and what they believe within the the, the confines of a church system. Um, and so 
when they get to us, um, you know, a lot of them are coming from church traditions uh, within the PCUSA that, for the most part, are middle of the road to slightly progressive um, in the way that they think and their openness to anyone. Um, what what we're seeing is how how can they be open and affirming of really all people in this open door policy that we have at, at our campus ministry, while at the same time having conviction in certain things. Um, that they, they, I think for them it's hard to reconcile those two things, that they feel like that they have a standard of what they believe, they can't compromise on it, and therefore they have to defend it. They do the same thing politically. Um, yeah. And how do they create a, a room for conversation that allows this greater diversity and inclusiveness Versus an inclusivity that just says we're a bunch of liberals that we're gathering together and everybody <laughs> thinks like us, which is no different than what they criticize in the first place. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think there there may be some issues for them this year, especially for us. Political issues in the fall uh, with the election was raw um, on both sides. I mean, we do have some conservative students that were really in a in a political pickle um, sure, yeah. of what to do, and um, and everybody seemed like a, a, a relativity of anger. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so I think what what they learned, hopefully that they saw in their own families and churches, but maybe they got to practice alongside their peers here, is that how do you have a conversation about your beliefs, um, both political and religious, and how that shapes you, how you think, how you interact with other people, and how you respond to maybe when we think about a domestic crisis um, where we find ourselves. Um, maybe that's a good example. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, first somebody who was kind of a Bernie bro this past year. Is yeah. a, I was also in a political pickle. I mean, and I think that, like, yeah, dialogue is always, it's kind of thrown about as a word as something we need, but it is, it is something that we need. I don't think people do talk to each other uh, enough these days. Um, I'm curious, so, I mean, the, one, of the, one of the angsts I have had uh, that kind of even started getting me started on this podcast was, like, Somewhere around my junior, I think it was more my senior year, I had I stopped coming to PCM. Right, right. Um, but it wasn't because, for me, it wasn't at all because I didn't like the community. I mean, these yeah. were some of my best friends on campus. But um, I, you know, I went through the uh, the classic uh, Bart Ehrman uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> as they say. What as I was talking to somebody actually on this podcast about um, who was in intervarsity and had like a similar thing as me. They were a religious studies student. They said they would like prepare people for the Bart Ehrman class. Right, the apologetics approach, right? Right. The, the, uh, how do we defend our faith approach? Right. Yeah, that it's so fragile. Of course, and now I, I also know, you know, people like uh, our friend Allison, who is now mm-hmm. a, you know, a, yeah, what do you call it? A Presbyterian pastor in Atlanta, right? At the exact same class as me, yeah. so it doesn't always work that way. Um, so what, I mean, how, how do you... Hey, do you remember that time, or am I just being narcissistic? And no, like, no, I absolutely remember, yeah. that, remember that time. And we have, have a lot of students um, that end up in, in Ehrman's class and, um, and are really influenced by him. And, and I would, the way I would respond to that is I am, I, I am not uh, concerned about uh, someone being negatively influenced by Bart Ehrman as I'm same, not in, concerned about someone being negatively influenced by a Christian campus ministry that I feel like would articulate their faith uh, community different than we would. And, and it may, maybe what I'm really trying to say is, I think the more people that you have that invite you into a theological conversation um, is really good. I mean, you chose 
to maybe be involved academically in his classes that maybe exposed you to some things that, I mean, your family, this is some things that your dad studied and knew about really well. It's no surprise the things that Ehrman is sort of presenting to the student. Um, but, um, but we have a lot of students that are involved in that and choose to be a part of a conversation that we have here. And I think maybe what we found is key and what is helpful for me is that um, just because you have a season in your life when you feel like that you're not believing as you should, um, because maybe the paradigm is that we have to check off all the boxes of we believe everything in order to be a part of that community. <laughs> sure, when, yeah. I, don't, I just don't think that world has ever existed. Mm. Um, and, and so I do believe that there needs to be kind of an element of kind of corporate worship that we kind of gather and we kind of have a posture of praise to the God that we believe in. But I think we, we, we are at our best as a Christian community when we are a people creating intimacy of community. Um, great examples are when you travel together for a week um, or even a weekend, you live close to each other. Um, it forces you to be in conversation with one another. It exposes sort of the things that you can be guarded um, where you don't have to share anything about yourself. Um, uh, yeah. And so I think what I've kind of learned over the years is that both by practicing in the Christian communities that I've been a part of and, and learning about the, the ones in the first century early Christian community is that that seems in those organic um, environments where life happens, where people are eating together. Um, I mean, Jesus washes feet not because that's a new thing. It's what people in the household did that were the servants in the household. And he used an illustration that was a household illustration to accomplish a greater point. And so in those environments of intimacy and conversation where everything seemed near, um, it had great power on people. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of people come to college and it's not just a Bart Ehrman uh, that exposes them to things that are new. I mean, it could be a science professor. It could be someone in public policy. Uh, it could be someone that's teaching them um, some literature course. Um, and, it, it's, it, it, and it's exposing this, them to something that's new. And, and how do we listen in a way that we don't feel we're so fragile, that everything new means everything that we've learned previously is all gone. Yeah. Um, if, I mean, nobody runs a business that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be innovative as a business leader, a business owner, without forfeiting everything that's led you to the point of being a successful business owner. <laughs> right. Did you, did you, speaking of feet washing, I just found this out this past year. Did you know Episcopalians do that as part of their Maundy Thursday service? Yeah. I, I had no yeah. idea. They had this really yeah. intense... Uh, like at least in, in <laughs> yeah. Pasadena, the, the uh, All Saints Episcopal Church where I went this past time, they you like you walk up and you, you take turns getting your feet washed and then washing somebody else's feet, yeah. and it's you know to, for me as a total stranger, uh, it was weird. And you know it's it's for me I had like a, a nice woman probably in her sixties or seventies yeah. wash my feet, so that was like that was that was cool. And then I had to wash the feet of like a seven year old, like a whole weird like circle of yeah. life thing and. Uh, but it is definitely an intimate uh, it's, moment. It, it, but, but I think it's a really interesting thing um, that you mention that because um, I think it's a good practice, but, but in, the, in the situation where you were in a setting where you didn't know those people that well. <laughs> At all, it, yeah. it feels pretty forced. Um, uh -huh. It can feel forced. Um, when If we understand the, the, what, what it's trying to model of something that Jesus was doing with his disciples, is at minimum what we know is he spent a year and a half with them. Depends if you read the Synoptic Gospels versus if you read John's Gospel. Um, but at minimum, he's with them a year and a half. And so after a year and a half, 
they've kind of gotten what this person, you know, even though they don't maybe agree with him on every point, mm-hmm. um, they at least understand him and what, and, and sort of like the things aren't always predictable with Jesus, but there's an intimacy of understanding and relationship that when he got down on the floor and he took his robe off uh, and he had a basin of water and he washes Peter's feet, he's earned that. Yeah. Right? He's earned that to where Peter knows Jesus. And so the greater intimacy of what's happening has has greater power on Peter. Um, and I think, and it's not to, to, to discredit what churches are attempting to do in practicing ritual, but ritual has power when individuals invest in other, other individuals and they make time for each other. And I think maybe that's the greatest gateway and opportunity for the church today. Is yeah. that is is most people say that churches are just decreasing in number, which is true. I mean, our denomination has decreased over two million people in the last twenty years. Wow! And over the years from two thousand and five to two thousand and fifteen, um, it decreased by nearly eight or nine hundred thousand members. That's no small. That's no small amount of people. But where the church has the greatest opportunity is, people are saying no to ritual for ritual's sake, right? Sure, yeah. People are saying no to the church because you just expect me to show up and open up your doors because I've always done that culturally. Sure, yeah. Right? And that and people are saying no to that. Um, and the opportunity is they want to be a part of something that's intimate. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's what works for us in our campus ministry setting, that unfortunately many of our students graduate, they don't get that anymore, and how do they create that? How does the church create that? But people want to be known. Um, you know, they don't want to be known by everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. But intimacy is really what made that foot washing scene with Jesus um, much more powerful than what the Episcopal Church in the setting in which you were mm-hmm. in California was attempting to accomplish. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's something that's, uh, that's such a recurring theme when people, when I talk to everybody from, you know, people who were atheists and never went to church and people who uh, used to be a lot of former Christians and that community is always the thing they point back to. Yeah. But I think, yeah, what is it about community? A lot of times it is that, that intimacy. It's not just having like, you know, somebody who will cook for you. I mean, that's, those are nice uh, benefits, little uh, pluses when you can have a potluck uh, whenever you want or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, um, and it's hard to, it's really hard to manufacture that. I mean, that's the, I think that's a problem for a lot of people who are like, in transition or who don't know exactly what they believe or they, you know, it was kind of like with me and I started like, I just remember sort of saying the Apostles Creed and realizing I couldn't really, I couldn't personally uh, say, like believe that I could, like I didn't, I couldn't say all of it and honestly believe it. So then it's like, why I'm, that was the, Right, you're thinking it like uh, like a contract. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> like, well, I, yeah, I don't belong to this thing anymore, uh, which is, I don't know, I guess it's too bad. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious too, to, to change course a little bit. Um, what about, so with you, did you grow up Presbyterian? No. Um, I, uh, my mother um, grew up in the Lutheran church. Um, mom, mom is a, a point to this. So my mom and dad met at Carolina in between, um, they got married in between their junior and senior year in 1969. And, and, and mom uh, came from a slightly more progressive Lutheran tradition, but mom was coming from a family from upstate New York in Endicott that was an IBM family that moved to Raleigh um, mm-hmm. in the mid-60s in the growth of the Research Triangle Park. And so they bring not only Lutheran, um, but they bring her Northern experience 
mm-hmm. to my father, who was Southern Baptist from Fuqua Varina. Oh, wow. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they used to play ping pong at the Lutheran campus ministry in their basement um, in, in the late 60s when they were students at Carolina. Oh, really? And so when they got married, so they got married in the Lutheran church, um, and uh, eventually we conceded to my, my dad's tradition uh, when we lived in Fuqua at, uh, for a period of my young childhood, um, probably because of proximity, and that was the church that he grew up in in Fuqua Verena Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and eventually it just didn't feel like it was a great match, and I think probably it was hard for my mom. And so we eventually commuted to a Lutheran church in Raleigh um, that was um, probably a 30-minute drive every Sunday morning, um, and then we kind of returned. But we moved when I was 11 to Florida for roughly eight years um, of my kind of middle school, late elementary, middle school, and high school years. And we, we joined a, a, a Lutheran church in, uh, in um, Winter Park, Florida, outside of Orlando, and we lived there for a little bit. And then we moved uh, to DeLand, Florida, where Stetson University is. And, and that was when I was about 14. And we were looking for a church. There wasn't a good Lutheran option there. And it was an ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is kind of similar to the PCUSA church in the Presbyterian traditions. Um, and, and we found a place, like many young families, we want a place that our kids feel welcome. We want to feel like it's a place where it's big enough that good things are happening. Um, and they found a Presbyterian church. And, you know, from that point on, from when I was about 15, I never never went through confirmation. Why? Because that <laughs> happens before I got there. Oh, yeah. Um, it yeah. was too late. And I went off to college, to a Methodist college in Greensboro, North Carolina, Greensboro College. And um, and so I was involved in their campus ministry there. But I, mostly what I was doing was I played college golf. And so I had two different worlds I existed in, kind of the athletic um, world, um, which was the rigorous practice every day, traveling um, all over the country doing that, which was wonderful. But I had this Methodist exposure at college, which eventually led me to choosing a seminary um, at Duke Divinity School, which is a Methodist, primarily a Methodist institution uh, with Methodist students. Um, but um, I looked at Presbyterian seminaries. Uh, what was fortuitous about that is I had cancer my first year in seminary which allowed me to move home to Raleigh and still take some coursework at Duke while I was a first year. Oh, wow. So if I would have chosen, um, let's say, um, a, a Union Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond or Columbia uh, in Atlanta or a Princeton uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, um, I would have had to kind of uh, withdraw from the program. And, yeah. and so um, my parents, when they moved back up to, to Raleigh after I graduated from high school, um, they joined another Presbyterian church, and I became kind of connected with them there. And they were the ones that eventually sponsored me in the ordination process. Um, and um, and so what I figured out that was nice about being in a Methodist institution, which it was quite ecumenical, lots of Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, non-denominational. It was a quite, I mean, it was, it, which actually added to greater depth of conversations and diversity of conversations. What was really good about that is unlike my counterparts that go to a Presbyterian theological institution that are surrounded by people who theologically are quite similar to them, my whole story is about ecumenicity, right? I don't even know how to pronounce that correctly. Um, but <laughs> what the, is that? What is? Can you unpack that word? Right. For me? I mean, yeah. ecumenical being the, the, the entire body of Christ, okay. um, ranging yeah. from the most conservative to what we think is the most liberal, progressive, preserving tradition, whatever. 
that, that listening to everybody in the way that they do that um, really helps me understand who am I? Um, what do I want the church to be for me? And so, you know, I say it a lot, and, and, and I don't really care who hears it. Um, I feel like the best fit for me is in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, theologically, it's a great fit. In the Presbyterian Church USA, I find space to think um, in ways where I don't always feel like I have to preserve dogma. Um, but but I'll, be qu- I'll be quite honest, my job and my goal is never to preserve a denomination. I could care less about that. Mm. I, f- I feel like it's a good home for me. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why I'm not really involved in a lot of de- de- denominational conversations. I don't panic when we're decreasing <laughs> in numbers. It's not that I don't care. I think there's growth elsewhere. But my number one goal, and I think the commitment that we are asked when we are ordained, is that we're preserving and advancing um, a kingdom that is much bigger than a denomination. Mm-hmm. And it allows me on this campus to think I'm not threatened and intimidated intimidated by more conservative campus ministries nor more liberal campus ministries. I don't feel like I have to defend anything. I don't think I have to be in fights with people. Um, I think there's a great diversity of how God is doing God's work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's my story. And I think that's the cool. Presbyterian Church is kind of where I found myself. Can you? I'm curious, too. What was it like... By the way, I'm, I'm glad however many years ago that you uh, beat cancer, apparently, because oh, yeah, you're absolutely. still here. Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. was it, what was it like? So did you find out about, did you get your diagnosis before you uh, went to seminary or like your first year? In the fall of my first year of seminary. So what is that like? You're, you're, you're going into seminary. You're already, you, anybody goes into seminary has this like, I would imagine has this pretty, pretty large cosmic view of life and God, this very intense relationship with what the afterlife could be um, or what the greater meaning of life already is. So what was it like then all of a sudden getting hit with this potential death warrant? Yeah. You know? Yeah. um, I think there's, um, I think, I I think the best way for me to define that, that I've thought about over the years is I think we all have be it a trauma or crisis in our life, um, crises or maybe one big singular crisis. Um, and there's a lot of things that can happen in moments like that. For me, I was going to seminary because I felt like that being a professional golfer was not the lifestyle I wanted. And when I was in community the way that Christian community for me meant a lot to me, um, I felt like that's what I wanted to be a part of. And I probably had a greater curiosity about it than a definitive understanding of how I was going to be a leader in it. And so fall semester, you know, 1994, uh, in late October, um, I get diagnosed um, uh, with a pretty aggressive form of Hodgkin's disease. And that was my crisis. The first, I mean, I had lived a fairly affluent childhood, though my parents are quite successful in the business world always wanted moderation and wanted for us to have a rich appreciation of life and it wasn't about entitlement. Um, But for me, that that crisis, um, physical crisis, uh, made real the things I believed. Mm -hmm. And I think Henry Nouwen, uh, you know, the great uh, Christian leader, uh, a Roman Catholic um, priest, um, Henry Nouwen, you know, late in his life, before he died, he was a part of a, a community called the Larsh community that was a community of people with physical and mental handicaps. And, 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 and for him, you know, being a part of that community, um, and the, be it, things were exposed, things really felt 
um, different than the way that everything was always neat and worked out and everybody was well put together. Um, and he found, found, I mean, I think now in, one, one of the things that he wrote and one of the things that he believed in by being a part of community is that we are all wounded. Um, the Presbyterian Church talks about sin, um, that we are sinful, we're broken, we're kind of, we're in need of something. And that's where we talk about Christ's saving grace, um, God's saving grace in Christ. But I think when we are broken physically, um, it forces us um, to make real the things that we just learned. Um, and I think a great example is um, someone goes off to get their MBA and they learn everything about Excel spreadsheets that you can learn. Uh, they learn about yeah. uh, financial capital and investors and venture people and good markets to do business in. Um, but let's say they, 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 they do it. They get the, 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 the finances behind them to do it and they fail miserably. Um, there's, there's really two options there. One, I'm not going to do this again. Or, okay, I learned some of the mistakes or the things that really I probably wasn't good at, um, that I, I, I made some mistakes that I'll, I'll learn from and I'll do it better next time, is that those people become better business people um, because they learn from the failure and the, and the, and the ways that their, their, their actual business failed them that I think we learn when our bodies fail us, and I don't want to say our mind fails us when we doubt. I mean, that's why kind of getting back to our earlier question, um, when we start small and practice the church in some ways, even in a large church setting within it, um, some intimacy in smaller gatherings, um, we're actually you know, being made known in ways that were just real. And maybe that's the great critique of young adults today that are saying, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because their idea is the church is a facade. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Mm-hmm. It's not believable. Um, and it, they're just playing a game. They're playing a historical preservation game. <laughs> right. When in reality, um, the critique is, and it's a great critique, is we've lost the ownership of being known. And, and kind of in my own sickness, um, I had to be honest about my being known. And, and, and kind of a follow-up from that is, my cancer and my divorce, right? I mean, divorce as a Christian minister um, and whether or not that's actually allowed. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah. But a woundedness in acknowledging my body failed me and maybe a brokenness in the way that my marriage failed um, is that we are real people. Um, and Christ meets us in those real places. Um, and I, And I think that's why small community, I mean, my God, it, it is happening. The growth areas of the church today are in churches that are meeting in the basement of some makeshift church where they're burning some incense, they've got someone playing the piano, uh, someone with a guitar, someone maybe wearing blue jeans um, and uh, a flannel shirt uh-huh. um, that, that's sitting on a bar stool that's just talking to people. Mm-hmm. And I think regardless of if you're in a suit or tie, um, regardless if uh, you're in a, in a church property made out of, a, made out of an aluminum tin can, um, <laughs> or you're in a place that costs $5 million um, to build, what people want and what they're maybe fed up with that they're not getting, because that's a dying generation, that we're just going to do it because we've always done it. Mm-hmm. People want something that matters. Yeah. And I think it's a really good thing uh, to press the church on. Yeah, something that's active and uh, present. Yeah, 
Oh. Right? Let people say, I don't believe that. Yeah. Right? And it's, I mean, maybe it's something you believe, but you give someone space that says, all right, let's, let's, hear, let's hear you out. Yeah. I mean, going back to also earlier in our conversation, um, so as far as you're concerned at, like, at, well, at, at your Presbyterian campus ministry, I mean, does, does somebody need to be a Presbyterian to be a part of this community? No. And you know what's something that's interesting that happened a couple of years ago is, and it led to a lot of consternation and struggle in our own group, and it was after you were a student here, is we had a student who came who knew another student from her years of working at a YMCA in the Raleigh area. Um, and she, uh, one student was Presbyterian, involved at West Raleigh Presbyterian Church, right off the campus of North Carolina State. Big, uh, um, big Presbyterian Church. Big pre- and, and it yeah. houses the campus ministry in Raleigh at yeah. uh, North Carolina State and Meredith and several other colleges there uh, that come to that campus ministry. But So this student brings her friend as a freshman at Carolina, and her friend's Jewish. Mm. Now, it said something to us that it really, like, okay, are we really open to all people? And it made us kind of feel a little bit awkward around that things are quite un- unapologetically Christian. <laughs> yeah. But it really forced us to speak in a way that was convicted with this theological center, but also in a way that made it more welcoming and inviting to be a part of that. Where it got really interesting is this girl, the Jewish student, applied to be on our leadership team. Wow. Um, not, not not only applied, because that's not our process, was nominated by another student that she would be a great leader. Wow. Um, and so our, our outgoing seniors that were a part of the nominating committee really wrestled with this. She interviewed well. She's dynamic. She's a she's a you know a student with ideas, really thoughtful, um, wants to be a part of conversation. She stayed a part of our campus ministry all four years at Carolina while simultaneously being involved in Hillel, uh, the Jewish campus ministry, because what we did well here is something that they didn't do a lot of, is intimate conversation and travel, um, student leadership, and she wanted to be a part of it. And the nominating committee said, uh, when they were interviewing her, we don't have really a policy about this, so we're going to let her be on our leadership team. We're going to nominate her, and we're going to ask confirmation from the larger body of 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 our community, which they did, but it was a real big struggle. Mm. Um, and so what we realized in that is there's a way to give space, not just nominally, right? Hey, come through our doors. We'd like to <laughs> right. come have a meal with us. Let's see if we can manipulate your thinking so that you'll come be a part of our community. <laughs> right. um, but we're not going to really let you have leadership. Mm. Um, you know, what it forced us to do is we're going to give you full access. Um, and I think the church has really struggled with this, and I've struggled with it. Um, is we're going to give you full access, which is going to force us to a sincerity of faith that's that's real, right? And I don't, I don't think that, you know, the post-Reformation church of the 16th century wasn't real. It was real to the people of the time. But if we understand anything about culture today, um, is and, and I think we're seeing it within the, the rise of technology and the use of technology, um, be it in social media or just availability of devices um, is people are eventually going to acknowledge this device, this social media community that I'm a part of is not meeting my needs. And and I want to be a part of something that provides intimacy, that allows me full access, and, and in the end, maybe that institution that, that they were a part of does not fully transform them, but it was a piece of God's transformation in them in their life that the church becomes real. Um, and that's, I mean, maybe, I mean, I've yeah. said it a couple of times, 
Um, and we really wrestled with that for that student. Um, do we give her full access? And so we said yes. Um, and, uh, and it really taught us a lot about what it means to be sincere. That's really cool. Uh, I just want to check what time we have. I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, maybe, I don't know how much you get, five, ten yeah. minutes? Okay, cool. Um, so, I guess on, uh, so that's interesting. So you have this Jewish student. I mean, that's one that's at least pretty close to, to Christianity, right? That's, right. you know, you're, you got the, not only are you Abrahamic religions, you're, right. uh, you're, what, Torah buddies, too. Mm-hmm. You got the, <laughs> the first five right there. I mean, what would you, I mean, do you imagine, what would you say, I don't even know, I mean, I never really knew that many any Buddhist or, like, Hindu students, not that many when I was at Carolina. What would you say if, uh, would you say the same thing if, uh, well, a complete, not only like I a, would, but I do. Uh, we currently have a student um, who is from New Bern, uh, North Carolina, who went off to, had an appointment to the Naval Academy, and um, and left the Naval Academy because it wasn't a good fit. Um, really struggled with that decision and came to Carolina. Um, and this student um, is um, of Korean background, Burmese, and um, immigrated to the United States. And family is uh, has a storefront in New Bern, uh, a grocery store, a restaurant, um, uh, and uh, and uh, is a large family that brings its Buddhist background as a major influence on him. And it's, it's hard to kind of connect the dots as to how the student came to us. Um, but he comes to us faithfully almost every week. Um, he's not overly involved, like traveling with us and things like that, uh, but he has helped lead a program. And he's actually been a part of, of Buddhist uh, monastic communities and has a lot of interest in that. And so we've said yes to him, not only as, hey, come have dinner with us, have a conversation with us, watch our worship. We've given him space to help lead a program about what does it mean to have, um, you know, a a larger idea of your prayer life, um, a a larger idea of centeredness, right? Christians can learn a lot from other religious communities that really can complement things that are not too foreign for the way that we're already practicing which does two positive things. It says to that student who's Burmese, um, we're culturally welcoming you into something where I think possibly he left the Naval Academy because that experience in that first year um, was so awful um, in the, um, call it hazing, call it sort of a ritual of rite of passage, um, that he felt like he wasn't welcomed immediately. Um, that's not what they were trying to communicate, I don't think. But, but what we want to say to him is what Jesus said to everybody. You know, and Jesus didn't say to everybody, I believe you, right? What you're thinking is right thinking. Um, There's a lot of unorthodoxy to a lot of people inside the religious community and outside the religious community. But what Jesus always did is he says, I have space for you here. Uh, And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you leadership here. Um, And in that investment, the return is going to be someone most of the time is going to have a life that's transformed. Um, which is a lot different than say, that saying, I went through confirmation, I was baptized, um, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon. Well, those things are all fine and dandy, but has your life been changed? Um, and that stuff has power. And that's why I think when people come to hear someone preach, um, they can pick up pretty quickly if someone's just trying to perpetuate an idea, like scholarship, like a lecture, or if someone is speaking and it's changed their life, or they want it to change their life more. 
Right on. Yeah. Well, John, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time. <laughs> this is great. It is my pleasure. It's always good to have alums back in uh, back in our space. It's great to see the the new the new digs, the new kitchen yeah. you have coming in. Um, do you have any? I don't. I don't know. Usually, I ask people to like plug something if they have something they want to plug. Uh, Here's what I'd plug. Um, um, I, I wouldn't as much plug campus ministry as what the project that we're trying to do here is provide a small group gathering um, for students to be a part of something that's going to make them think, um, understand their discipleship in a way uh, that is more clear to them. And so, what I'd plug is um, don't start big, start small. Um, and get a group of people to have a meal together, have a beer together, um, and just be community together so that what happens is they can be known in that small gathering. Christians drinking together. That's <laughs> incredible. Well, thank you so much, John. Thanks, Joe. And that's the show. Once again, thank you so much to John Rogers. Go to chooseyourownreligion.com for more of this show and uh, find some kind of group uh, that lets you be intimate. I love you guys. Jamaste. What's a creative podcast network?